Samuel 19. Today we continue our study of word-by-word breakdown of the book of 1 Samuel. And chapter 19, we've entitled The Opportunity. Today we're going to look at the opportunity for action. I'd like to begin today by using a video, a clip. Let me just start off by saying the video clip comes from someone with a political viewpoint. They're using this as a political viewpoint. So I guess you could say there's an element of politics inside this video, but that is not my intent to share that political viewpoint with you. I think as you see the video, it'll be, it'll be very obvious what I want to share with you and talk with you. So the concept of the federal government being involved in natural disasters is actually very new concept that's never really been in our country. So this video spotlights that, but it has a really good message that I'm going to talk to you today about. So. After recent hurricanes, big box stores like Home Depot and Walmart were quick to bring in fresh water, batteries, and food. In Puerto Rico, Coca-Cola donated a million dollars, PepsiCo two million. Elon Musk offers to rebuild Puerto Rico's electricity grid. Researchers found that after Hurricane Katrina, businesses and charities provided much more help than FEMA did. A few years ago, Oklahoma took a big hit. For three days, tornadoes tore through the state. FEMA spent lots of money to help rebuild, but even NBC's anchors noticed the private charities did a better job. If you're waiting for the government, you're going to be in for an awful long way. The Baptist men, they're going to get done yeah. tomorrow. The Baptist men have got bulldozers and cleared tornado debris from more than a thousand homes. They brought in bobcats and bulldozers and chainsaws and they just went to work. Within days, the Baptists gave them a new home. It was a mess out here and they cleaned it up and they've done that for our whole neighborhood. All of a sudden, we hear hammering and Maddie looks back and she grabs his shoulder and looks up and they're already on our roof. We have people driving through handing you meals. People I didn't know would just walk up and give us money. It's just overwhelming to me that we were that taken care of. For 200 years when disasters hit, neighbors took care of neighbors. But now we hear a big storm requires big government. I say the head of the Baptist charity has it right. I don't think there's any kind of disaster that can take place that nonprofit and faith-based groups cannot take care of. Amen. I love that quote, basically, and I think I'm more paraphrasing. When an NBC news anchor basically said, the Baptist men are going to get it done. That is awesome. The group he's talking about there, and they were spotlighting, is the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Program. Let me just say that I know in our church in the past we've been part of that. We would love to lead that. We probably just need a leader. It'd be a great opportunity. You're kind of a minute man. You might be here in Michigan. and might be sent who knows where to help out in the next disaster that takes place. If you'd like to be part of it, man, woman, to be part of it, we could use somebody. One of the other things they talked about is the chaplaincy. If that sounds like something you would like to help out, our Southern Baptist State Office has a position you could help out on the disaster relief chaplaincy. I have information up here. 
basically when these disasters happen, you kind of go and you help people, not just physically, you help them spiritually. And you're dealing with somebody who might have just lost their home and they just need a shoulder to cry on. If those sound like something you'd like to get involved in, see me or see Mary, we'd be glad to, to hook you up and get you involved in one of those areas. But the Baptists are going to get it done. If you're taking notes today, our thought is this. On opportunities, the Christian life is a verb. The Christian life is a verb. And if you haven't been in school for a while, let me just remind you, the definition of a word, a verb, is words that express actions. Words that express actions. Christians are doers. You see, there's a problem, and there's actually a scientific problem with that, though. Is Newton's first law? Well, Newton's first law says this. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. You see, bodies at rest they tend to stay there. Some of you know that's true when you come home from a long day and you find your favorite chair or your couch and you sit down, it takes an earthquake to move you. And some of you find yourself falling asleep right there because objects that are at rest, well, you know what they need to get moving? They need a push. They need something to stir them to action. It is my intent today not to try to convict you of sin. It's my intent today not to try to cause you to celebrate the victory we have in Jesus. Today it is my intent to stir you to action. To stir you to do something in your life. Because Christian, Christians are doers. The Christian life is not a noun. The Christian life is a verb. You see, what stirs a Christian to action? You're taking notes. For what stirs a Christian to action is the Holy Spirit. There's a Holy Spirit stirring. The Apostle Paul goes to Athens, and he sees the emptiness of this great city, and he sees them worshiping fake gods and false demon gods, and they even have a tomb to the unknown God. And Paul sees all this, and it says in verse 16 of Acts 17, Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Let me just ask you, what stirs you? Everything you want to know about yourself can be defined by that simple question of what it is that stirs you. If you get hot and bothered simply because you've got bad customer service, that's pretty much who you are. That's what stirs you. If you get hot and bothered that a decision was made that didn't involve you because your ideas are so amazing, that's who you are. If it bothers you, see, you don't see this as much as I used to see it. And I stopped watching local news when we moved and lived in the Chicago market. Because I got tired of every night seeing the dead bodies of teenagers and young people. And you know why you didn't hear about it? Because it didn't fit a political narrative. It didn't fit the cause. Thousands of young people killed every year in the city of Chicago. But Chicago has the highest gun control of any city in any state. And it doesn't fit the narrative. And I remember even recently, many of those same students that are in Chicago were very upset. Where's the walkout in protest when our lives are being taken? 
And I have never forgotten the name uh, Heaven Sutton. Heaven Sutton, in about 2012, is a little girl on her front yard doing a lemonade stand in the summer. Lemonade stand, a little 12-year-old girl, just, you know, doing what kids do. And was gunned down and shot by a drive-by shooting on the south side of Chicago. Where was her protest? Where were the people being moved to say, this has to stop? Nowhere. She was just another in a long list of names. And you know, honestly, I, I can tell you this, that with all honesty, having to watch that, you think Detroit news is bad, watch Chicago news. Having watched that was one of the reasons Sandra and I said, we have to be part of the parents. We have to be part of helping. We're not gonna fix the whole thing, but we can probably help one kid. What stirs you tells everything you need to know about who you are. Secondly, what stirs Christian action is well, values. Values. Isn't it amazing what used to stir you? Uh, let me just see if I can explain this. There's a difference between values and, uh, don't go to it yet, but there's a difference between values and cravings. Uh, a craving comes and goes. Cravings are things that used to stir you. Uh, example, you couldn't live without him. You just had to have him. Then you just had to divorce him. You just had to have her. You couldn't think of anything without him or her. Now you can't stand that individual. Uh, another example, maybe. Do you remember how you used to dress in high school? <laughs> you don't dress like that anymore. Usually, there are some of you, this is an intervention. I remember I'm a child of the 80s. My yes jeans were all pinched at the bottom, my eyes up collar turned up, I was cool. And I would still be dressed like that if it wasn't for my wife. <laughs> you see, but there's a difference between values and stirring. Cra cravings and, and values. Uh, cravings come and go. You see, throw this up. Values are unchangeable. Meaning, this stirs you no matter when. It doesn't matter what takes place in your life. This is always going to stir you. Cravings, right? You have a craving for chocolate in the middle of the night. You have a craving for what your wife has down in the refrigerator. You go down and you eat and run. And what happens after you eat? Well, it's really good. You eat more. No. What goes on? You eat and you get full. Do you still have the craving? No. You satisfy the craving and it goes away. Cravings come and go. But values are unchangeable. I thought about things that were my values that still stirred me. And these are things that still stir me. America, patriotism. My wife. She stirs me in a whole different way. But, um, was that awkward? Okay. Um, preaching about the cross and hearing people talk about Jesus, that still stirs me. People getting saved and, and seeing them accept Christ, that is always amazing. My kids. Even when they become teenagers and you just want to pull your hair out, my kids still stir me because they're values to me. You see, what is Jesus? Is Jesus a craving? See, that's kind of what we've marketed Jesus to, especially this younger generation, as millennials. We've turned Jesus sometimes into a social cause, social warriors, and social justice. We've turned Jesus into a feeling, the charismatics and Pentecostals have done that, into a feeling. Well, what happens when all those things disappear and go away? You find out really quickly that Jesus wasn't a value. Jesus was a craving. 
In 1 Samuel 19, it's all about opportunities. Last week, if you weren't here, and many of you weren't because of the weather, we talked about the opportunity for life. Today, we're going to talk about the opportunity for action. And we're going to see three people, three different people, and they were stirred, and they both reacted differently in their stirring. First, the first person that's stirred is David. And if you're taking notes, when stirred, David fights. David fights. As an Irishman, I love that. In verse 8 of 1 Samuel 19. And there was war again. And by the way, you see the repetitiveness of the battle. There's always another fight. There's always another battle. And David went out and fought with the Philistines. Same old battle, same old enemy. And slew them with a great slaughter and fled from him. David was stirred to fight because there was a cause. A cause to stop the Philistines. Isn't that what he said just a few chapters ago when there was Goliath, the same Philistines, the same type of battle? He said, is there not a cause? This is what should be pushing Christians. The fight. Now, let me just stop for a second. I'm not talking about the fighting of each other. I'm not even talking about physical. This is not a call for you to build a bunker in your basement and get arms. That's not the fight I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual fight. There should be a stirring inside you because there is a fight. There is a cause to fight for. I'll tell you these two things about Christians and fighting. First, Christians fight to help people. Christians fight to help people. Just a simple question. How many hospitals have ever been built by atheists? They had to invent the crimson cross, the crimson, the, you know, the red cross. They had to come up with the crimson uh, moon for the Muslims. They, they had to send missionaries to India with the Hindus and build hospitals. And that's what Mother Teresa was over there doing in these countries and stuff. Because they said, well, you're just basically getting what you deserve. How many hospitals have been built by Christians? You see, when God stirs a believer to action, they fight. Let me just say this to you. We are not a group of people who do things out of white guilt. We just feel guilty for being white. We just feel guilty. We just do it because you know we're more economically advanced. And by the way, Clarkston, Waterford is better off than most areas in this country, by the way. And uh, we just do it out of that. No, that's a bunch of nonsense. We do things because we've had a real life encounter with a real life Savior, and we accepted Christ as our personal Savior. We don't do things for applause. We don't do things out of guilt. We do things and we fight because the Holy Spirit stirs us. And Christians also fight to minister to people. Jesus said ministry can be something as simple as a cup of cold water in my name. Um, you know what the response should be after I get done preaching this? There should be a line to sign up at the missions table to sign up for next week to help out some of our senior citizens. Now, some of you that are physically disabled and you have a difficulty, you can't even do your own yard work. I totally understand it. You're exempt. But there should be a line to sign up. In fact, we should be on the news, Channel 7. A fight breaks out at a local Clarkston Baptist church. And the fight was to line up, to sign up, to volunteer. No, I get to volunteer first. You see, Christians... When they see the cause, they want to fight back. Listen, the fighting that we fight back with is with Jesus. 
You see, ministry is this. Whatever way you're shaped and formed, ministry is this. Ministry is connecting people with Jesus. It could be a cup of cold water. Look, I don't want to feed people just because they're hungry. I, I hope that doesn't make you misunderstand me, think I'm heartless. I don't want to feed people and I don't want to build walls and everything else just for the sake of doing that and then leaving. I want our missionaries, I want us to do these type of things as an excuse to then say, now let me tell you about the Jesus that drove me here to do this. Yeah. Now, it, it, we probably next week won't get the opportunity while raking somebody's yard to share Jesus. But if somebody comes out and you're there and you're helping clean up and they think, wow, this is so nice of you. This, that's a great opportunity to say, the only reason I'm here is because I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And the Holy Spirit stirs me to help people like you. Maybe you could say it nicer than saying people like you. But anyways. <laughs> you took that people. That didn't come off. Can I stir you this week? Can I stir you to connect somebody with Jesus? Maybe you connect on doing something for them and, and, and ministering as a cup of cold water, something. Or maybe the greatest connection is by sharing your faith with somebody. Is by being an evangelist. Is by simply telling somebody your story, how you accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And when you get done, just say, wouldn't you like to do that too? Connect somebody to Jesus. But see, there's an opposite side. When every time God moves, understand this in your life, understand this in your life. Anytime God moves, Satan will move also. If you're not experiencing persecution, if you're not experiencing pushback from Satan, the reason is you're not doing anything. So when the next person is stirred, Saul, well, when Saul is stirred, he doesn't move. Look at verse 9. And an evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. We've looked at this a few chapters ago. This is basically depression. When you get out of God's will, you will be depressed. As he sat in his house with a javelin, a spear in his hand, and David played with his hand. He's playing on his heart. And you just have to go back a few verses. Remember last week in verse 6? And Saul's promised he would never hurt David. Now look what happens in verse 10. And Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall with the javelin, with the spear. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence. By the way, a little side note, when you're in God's will, you're in the safest place you can be. Yeah. He said, well, I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to go somewhere. I don't want to try something different. Because, listen, I, I might endanger myself. Listen, if you're in God's will, you are in God's protection. Amen? Yeah. Some of you signed up for the mission field. That didn't go <laughs> But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped at night. I'm going to talk about evil for a second, okay? You need to understand this is what evil is. Evil is planned pain. Planned pain. Um, everyone in here inadvertently hurts somebody. Uh, you might have said something you shouldn't have said. You might have slipped up, and you kind of... You didn't mean to say it that way. Maybe it came out wrong. You were like, wow, you look so much better. You've lost weight. You know, you didn't mean to say it that way, right? But you said it or you did it. Those are accidents and we feel bad about it. That's not evil, okay? Evil is not, well, there's bad and then there's really bad and then there's evil. Like, you don't know. Evil is any time you plan on purpose to hurt someone. You know by saying this comment you'll get at your, your sister-in-law. 
You know that your daughter-in-law, right, when you go to her house, you've already got this planned out. You're going to say it and say, like, oh, you, you dusted. What a nice change, right? That's evil. <laughs> All right? That's passive-aggressive, but that's evil. Evil is planned. When you plan to belittle someone, that is evil. Saul has made a choice. He is not acting out of rashness. He has been thinking about this and thinking about this, and he has made a decision, and he has chosen to kill David. Side note, David gives us great advice, and he gives us a great method of dealing with people who are evil. What does he do? He leaves. He leaves. He avoids them. He tries to stay out of them. I'm not trying to tell you to leave your marriage, by the way. That's not what I'm talking about. He leaves them. He says, well, I can change them. No, no, no. You can't change them. Only God can change them. Every young girl does that, right? Older ladies are smarter. They would never do this. But every young girl does that. She, she, she finds that guy, and he's a little rough around the corners, right? But I can marry him, and I can change him. His mama couldn't change him. You're not going to change him, right? I tell our young people this, and I love the thought. Never marry a project, right? A project is a house you buy that you flip. It's a fixer-upper. Never marry a fixer-upper. Marry somebody on day one who can be the spiritual leader of your home. Thank you, ladies. That was great. Listen, every battle you're in is a spiritual battle. But I can manipulate, I can work with, I can know. When you start, you work with people who are flawed, which is all of us. You work with people who have issues. You work with people who have been hurt. You try to minister to them and help them and nurture them. Amen? Evil. David gives us a great recipe. He runs from it. He gets away from it. Because they are planning to hurt you. One lady had this solution. There were 11 people stranded on the side of the mountain. Ten men and one woman. Hanging on to a rope that came down from a helicopter sent to rescue them. They all decided that one person should get off because if they didn't, the rope would break and everyone would die. One, one person could make the decision. So finally, the woman gave a really touching speech, saying how she would give up her life to save the others. Because women were used to giving up things for their husbands and their children. Giving in to men and not receiving anything in return. She would be the ultimate sacrifice. When she finished speaking, all the men began to clap. <laughs> Got some of you to laugh, right? <laughs> Look, when you're stirred, be stirred for good, not evil. Um, even in a church, was uh, yesterday, one of our, our girls was uh, about to start junior high, was telling us some of the horrible things. The most evil thing on the planet sometimes can be a junior high girl, can't it? And uh, the things that they say to each other, and I have a girl going through some of the same stuff, sometimes, you know, cries about it. And uh, I think I surprised this little girl, and I said, you know what, everywhere you go, you're going to find people like that. And I said, you know what, you'll even find them in church. And this sweet little girl, in her innocence, Church? And I went, oh, Lord. <laughs> I want to give you an evil test. This is an evil test. 
class. Maybe you'll see it's not in your notes, it's just up here. See which one of these you are. Give me three things to decide if you're evil. And then we're going to burn you at the stake. No. Are you helping people or hurting people? Are your comments lifting people up? Are you trying to encourage your daughter-in-law? Or are you looking for opportunities to belittle people? Are you helping people today or are you hurting people? Here's the thing. If you don't know if you're helping or hurting, you're hurting. Because when you help, you know. Second evil test. Are you saying it to their face or behind their back? And that, that means Facebook too. Um, you know when you go through Romans 1, and if you've been in church long enough, a lot of preachers will use accurately Romans 1 to talk about homosexuality, and it is in there. And it's part of it. But you know one of those other groups that Paul mentions in that list of people that do horrible things? Gossip. It's amazing that if someone came in here holding the hands of somebody of the same gender, you would come up to and say, Pastor, what are we going to do? By the way, if that does happen, you know what we're going to do? We're going to love people. Yeah. We're never going to change the truth. We're never going to stop telling the truth, but we're going to love people. But it's also amazing when somebody comes in and starts gossiping and says something about somebody else, and your reaction is, oh, that sounds good. And lastly, evil someone getting saved by what you're doing? Or are you driving people from Jesus? Now, every, every one of these, you probably thought of somebody. And you know what you should do? You should think about limiting their access to you in your life. Okay, really, you need to think about that. Okay, you've probably thought about that. But would you, for just a moment, instead of thinking of somebody else in your life, would you ask yourself if you fit on one of those categories? Are you helping or hurting people? Are you saying it to someone's face? You see, when you say it to someone's face, it's because you love them and you want them to change, right? You know, like my friend Billy here. Billy, the Dallas Cowboys are a horrible team. You need to repent. I love you too much. <laughs> Come to Jesus, Billy. Come to Jesus. I'm being evil. You're right. <laughs> She took an image and laid it in the bed. That image is an idol. 
and put a pillow over a goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. She's trying to like make these things look like David's in bed. And when Saul sent messengers to David, here's her best excuse. She says, he is sick. Michael gets a bad rap, and some of this she deserves, and some of her actions, but, but at least she's a person of action. We think the people that God is going to use have these great resumes, and they're perfect people. They're not. They're flawed people like Michael. Uh, God used Michael even though there's three things. He used Michael even though, number one, she isn't perfect. She has an idol. What is she doing with an idol? But you know what? Who is Michael? Well, she's like us. Because we have idols. Hers had a figure probably of a face on it, but we drive ours. <laughs> she is an original. What's her comment for David? She couldn't come up with anything better than, oh, he's sick. <laughs> Anytime somebody tells you that, you know they're lying. And number three, she isn't persuasive. Jonathan, at the beginning of the chapter, Jonathan talks Saul down, right? And he'll talk Saul down and even get Saul to, to not, promise to not kill David. Micah couldn't do any of that. They blow right through her and they see that she's lying. But I'll give Michael this. At least she was willing. I would rather you make mistakes trying to serve Jesus than be a perfect person who does nothing for him. This is not a message about getting your life right. Because honestly, don't misunderstand me. God should deal with you about sin. As a believer in Jesus, God should deal with you about your heart issue and your issues and things like that. But you know what? God doesn't need perfect people to be to, to, for him to work. He just needs willing people. And while you deal with your issues... Can you just be stern enough to minister to somebody with a cup of cold water? See, there's three reactions to this message. First reaction, maybe you're scared of salvation. Maybe today, after I've talked about what Christians do and the Holy Spirit, you might have come to the conclusion that you've never truly accepted Christ as your personal Savior. You're not a Christian because you do things. Christians do things because they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior. You see it? Amen? The only way you're going to heaven is by receiving what Jesus did on the cross for your pain and your sin. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and to save me, to be born again once I was a little boy. Those words aren't magical. But here today, have you been stirred to salvation? There's another possible. You could be stirred to serve. I'm going to get one of those baby bottles. And I'm going to put my change in it. Because everyone, every, you, know how, you know how you know when you're in a rich country is how much change we have just lying around. That you throw away pennies because they're annoying, right? You know you're in a rich country when that happens. But I'm going to go back there, Pastor, and I, I'm, I'm going to sign up. Ken came to me, and Ken's leading this, Pastor Ken. And he came to me and said, uh, would you please hit this and announce this? And, and push people, because we need somebody to sign up, and nobody signed up at it. And I said, Ken, my entire message is about this. You're either going to be stirred to salvation and realize you're not a believer, or you're going to be stirred to serve, or lastly, you'll be stirred to sever. I just, I just don't want to hear preaching like this. I just don't know. I, I don't like this. This is not for me. This is my last week, and uh, I'm not going to be... Uh, 
I'm not going to be told that I have to do things as a believer anymore. It's true, though. God's word is preached, and God's principles are laid out. You either come to Jesus in salvation, or you either start serving him, or eventually you just have to sever and walk away. This week, let's be stirred to action. Do you realize there's a reason why we are a tax-exempt organization? There's a reason why you can deduct from your taxes things that you give the church? Because the government a long time ago realized that churches help their communities. And a church being involved in their community is better than a bar being in their community. Believers in Jesus Christ, it's amazing that the United States federal government expects more from us than we do. See, at the end of your life, here's the thing. I've been in enough funerals, I've done enough funerals. Here's what I've realized. At the end of your life, there's two things you'll be remembered for. Two things. The first thing are the people you loved faithfully. The people you were faithful to and who you loved, you'll be remembered by those and for those people. And the second thing you will be remembered by are the things you did selflessly. The things that you just did for other people. At funerals, people get up all the time, but she was my teacher and she spent a lot of extra time and helped me to read. She didn't have to. He was my neighbor and he just helped me on all these other things. He led me to Christ, and I'm a believer in Jesus because of this person. It is always the selfless things that people remember about you when you're gone. On a, on a Pennsylvania field, in a city called Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln dedicated a cemetery to the brave men and women who saved the Union on that day. And his words about them were these. In a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, or we, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men and living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far more above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it cannot forget what they did here. It is for us the living rather to dedicate here the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to this great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain in this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and government of the people by the people and for the people shall not perish from What they remembered is what they did. You'll be remembered for the people you love faithfully and the things you did selflessly. Let Clarkson and let the world say, thank God the Baptists.